Hello, and welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late Ella Manuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. Here, Ella Manuel explains how an old friend from Labrador took a long and completely unwanted voyage in the 1950s, an unintended prisoner on a coastal steamer. Uncle Albert had come into the wharf from his morning fishing, and in the windy sunlight he was standing between his beach dory and a cleaning table, his knife flashing as he split the cod and tossed them into a barrel. "'Nearly done,' he called as I came down the path. "'Wait a spell and we'll have a yarn.' I found shelter from the wind by the door of his shed and made myself comfortable on a warm, flat rock. I could have waited happily all day, so pleasant it was in the sun with all the beauty around me. Presently Uncle Albert joined me, filling his stubby pipe. "'Shift over a bit,' he ordered, "'and I'll sit on rock beside you. "'I never told you about the time I went right around Newfoundland Island for seventy-five cents, did I?' Well, wait now till I gets to rights. If I'm not comfortable, it puts me out of mind of what I'm going to say. He settled himself with his back against the door of the shed and puffed until his pipe glowed merrily. Well, twas when I was a young feller and we lived in West St. Modeste down on the Labrador. Twas the first year I went teaching. Of course, them times you didn't have to have as much learning to be a teacher as you do now. Anyhow, I was teaching in Henley Harbor, about fifty miles north longshore from Modeste. It came Christmas holidays, and the coastal steamer was due by then, so I was going to go home on her. I had me suitcase packed, and waiting when she blew, fit to split the rocks, and then I went down to the wharf and got aboard. I wasn't much surprised when I found I was the only one got on the boat, but I thought about it a bit when I saw I was the only passenger on her, and then I thought, Oh, well, nobody goes to Modeste this time of year. They all go the other way. So I went and got me ticket. Seventy-five cents, the purser charged me. Mind that now, seventy-five cents. I said it mind, but surely seventy-five cents was quite a lot of money in those days. Uncle Albert retorted, Not so much when you consider what I got for it. Anyhow, when the purser gave me my ticket, he said there was ice outside and it might take us a good spell to get down to Modeste. But I wasn't fretted, because I had five days to Christmas and a week or more afterwards. So I settled down. I fear loves to watch the land slide by, and me, comfortable like, not having to make any effort to get along. Uncle Albert sat on the deck in the lee of the smokestack on the little steamer that carries freight up and down the coast of Newfoundland and Labrador, a cozy, warm, and clean little ship on which Newfoundlanders loved to travel because it had the air of wealth and good living compared with their usual situation. He watched, and soon he saw the ice, miles of it thick and rolling. The steamer hit with a crash, went astern and hit again. She shivered from stem to stern with every crash, and Albert was relieved when she backed away and turned in a wide circle, back the way they had come. And then he heard footsteps on the bridge ladder and turned to see the mate coming off watch. The mate stared at Albert, "'Well, I didn't know we had a passenger,' he said. "'Where are you going?' "'Modeste,' said Albert. "'My son, we're not getting to Modeste, not this year. "'See that hoist? "'You better get off this craft soon as we tie up and walk home.' 
Yes, sir, that's what he told me, Uncle Albert said. But now you knows I wasn't going to walk home like a common workman with me pack on me back. Damn it all, I was a teacher. So I told the mate we'd get to Modesto all right. I told him I never heard it tell of the ice making this early, and I'd been on the coast all me life. Well, then the mate said to me, Oh, he was a terrible big man, did I tell you? He must have been seven feet high and as big as a punchin'. Anyhow, he said as how he'd been on the coast a good long spell, and he knew it was a first time for everything, and twas my bad luck I picked on it. When the steamer tied up back at the wharf in Henley that night, after bucking through the film of ice on the harbor, Albert chose a warm cabin with an outside porthole with clean sheets and plenty of blankets, and he slept like a log. Around daylight he heard footsteps overhead, and presently the mate's voice, Let go the ropes! Naturally, Albert thought they were on their way to Modeste, but to his astonishment, when they steamed through the headlands, they steered north. The wireless operator told him they had received a message from a schooner in distress, and they were going to the rescue. Edging her way between the ice and the shore, the steamer made her way to the next harbor in which lay the schooner, caught fast in the ice. Finally, after much bucking and churning, a channel was cleared, and the schooner followed them out into the gulf and away south. The steamer set her bow south once more. All day long they fought the ice, advancing yard by yard, and as darkness fell, the burly mate swung down the ladder and made his way to the mess room. Albert followed. The mate turned and eyed him speculatively. "'Come in, me son, and let you and me have a mug-up,' he invited. "'Take off your coat, cause I wants a long talk with you.' On the mess-room table there was hot coffee and buns. Albert sat on the bench as the mate tossed his beret on a hook and unwound his muffler. Then he settled his huge bulk in a chair and said, "'Now, me son, we made less than three miles in the last three hours.' You made one big mistake by not getting off in Henley when you could. We're going now over to Port Saunders, if we can get out of this mess we're in. There's schooners frozen all down the coast, just like the one we got out this morning, and the ice is making fast. If we can only get out without smashing our propeller or twisting our tail shaft, we'll be in Saunders by tomorrow noon, and that's pretty far from Modest now, isn't it? And what are you going to do? Well, Albert was distinctly unhappy. He wished he hadn't been so cocky, but he didn't intend to give up. In answer to the mate's question, he said, Well, the thing is, I paid me passage to Modeste, and it's up to you to get me there. The mate's big mouth fell open. Well, blast it, if that's the way you feel, the best thing you can do is settle down for a nice long cruise. We might get back north again this winter, we might not. And how you're going to get from Port Saunders to Modeste without sprouting wings is more than I can tell. By noon on the following day, Albert was two hundred miles from home and feeling very lost. True, he slept warmly and ate well, but he was consumed with anxiety. Each time the steamer left the wharf and poked her bow far enough into the gulf to see what the ice looked like, his heart leaped, only to fall lower and lower each time they returned. Christmas Day came and went, but apart from a large figgy duff and a rabbit stew, the rabbit snared by the cook on the hills behind Port Saunders, Albert did not celebrate. Ice was now forming along the shoreline, blocking the coves and harbors in its grip. Clearly it would not unblock them before spring. It was a matter of hours until the steamer, if they wished to escape, would have to hurry south. Watching Albert closely, it was plain that the mate was taking a morbid interest in him. 
Sometimes he'd grin, sometimes shake his head, as if he couldn't quite believe Albert was real. Well, after they'd been four days in Port Saunders, the mate sought Albert out and said to him, Now, me son, you're going to see the sights. We're going to Humbermouth. We're getting short of coal and grub, and anyhow, we got to do something. We can't stay here all winter. I hope you got some money, because when you got to Humbermouth and see all them shops and taverns, my sonny, and his voice trailed off. Had you ever been to Humbermouth? I interrupted Uncle Albert. No, my maid, that's what I hadn't. I thought it would be some fun if I had a bit of money, but all I had was five dollars, and I told the mate that. Well, I'll never forget him then, Albert laughed at the memory. He sat there with his great elbows on the table, and then he put his ugly chin between his hands and looked at me and grinned. A dirty grin it was. Only I didn't think about that until afterwards. Anyhow, he said to me slow-like, I suppose you're a good government man, are you? I said, certainly I was, and how did he suppose I got my teaching job if I wasn't? And then he leaned over to me and he said, I'll tell you what to do. You send a telegram to your member and ask him to lend you fifty dollars. Tell him to wire it to Humbermouth. Uncle Albert said he was sure the mate was fooling him and didn't really mean it, but it was an idea. So the next time the steamer tied up in Port Saunders, Albert streaked up the hill to the telegraph office and sent his message. He said that it came to him much later that it was a pretty daring thing to do, considering he'd been eating off the government for seven days now and sleeping in the government's warm bed, all for seventy-five cents. Asking for a loan on top of that was going a bit far, but it was done and no use worrying. When they arrived at Humbermouth, Albert had just time to collect his money at the telegraph and to buy a bottle of Christmas cheer before the steamer's whistle brought him back on the run. The mate was waiting. Hoping I'd missed the boat, I dare say, said Albert. And when he seen me with the bottle sticking out of me pocket, he fair stamped his feet, he was that mad. He began to curse and swear something awful. And you know why? This is the best part of it all together. The government man what sent me the money? Guess who he was? The mate's father. Well, now, wasn't that a good one? So here was I with the old man's money in me pocket, and he without even a penny, not even for a glass of beer. "'Twas his own fault, anyhow. He shouldn't have put me up to it, only he didn't think I'd do it. Anyhow, when he got his breath, the mate said to me, "'Now you're in for it, me boy. Now you're going to be some sick and tired of us before you're done, because we're going all down the west coast, around Cape Ray, along the south coast, past Cape Race, and clear around the ruddy island.' He said I'd be lucky if I got home for Easter, so I offered him a drink. Well, the steamer bucked and rolled, pitched and tossed along the south coast for thirteen days, rounding Cape Race, passing St. John's and Cape Friels. Albert was mortally seasick, and the sicker he got, the more jubilant was the mate. Finally, they arrived at St. Anthony, not many miles as the crow flies from Modeste, but as far as transportation went, it might have been on the moon, at least until spring. Well, we tied up, Uncle Albert said, and the mate come alongside me. And he said, now, me son, off you get, unless you want to spend the winter freighting in the Gulf. I couldn't give up tormenting him just a little bit more, so I said to him, What'll I do now? He looked like he'd like to choke me, but all he'd done was say, Oh, for lard's sake, go up to the Grinfell Mission. They're used to looking after lost souls up there. So that's what I done. And then Uncle Albert commenced to laugh. Tears poured down his whiskery cheeks, and he gasped for breath. I waited patiently for the denouement, 
and when it came it was more than I expected. I went up to the mission, he said, when he finally caught his breath, and I told the doctor there about the trouble I was in, and he said, My son, you're some lucky. We just got a hairplane come in from St. John's, and tis going up to Modest to fetch old man Barnes. He's pretty sick. That is, if they can land on the ice, so you can go up along with it. Well, honest, said Albert, I was afraid to go back to the steamer and tell the mate. I thought he'd burst or something. So off I went, and I was some proud to come home in a hairplane. "'Twas worth missing Christmas and all. "'Did you ever see the mate again?' I asked. "'Hold on now, I, I'm coming to that. "'I forgot all about him for a long spell, "'and then after I was down here, "'I heard he'd given up the sea "'and was living down shore in Cow Ed. "'And then it come to me a mind about fifty dollars. "'So you know what I done? "'I paid it back to him. Two dollars a month I paid him. "'And I'm sure that every time I went, "'the old feller got one step nearer a stroke.' I never let him forget how mad he was the time I went round the whole island for 75 cents. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late El Emanuel from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the Voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmore National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel, published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening. Tune in to the next episode in which El Emanuel describes a voyage along western Notre Dame Bay and her conversations with the skipper of the coastal steamer.